What I want here at our church, the vision, part of the vision going forward is I want, I want us to normalize miracles around here. That they don't just surprise us when they happen, like, ah, oh, wow, the Bible is real. Like, no. I want us to be a church that expects God to move, that expects God to do the impossible, that where we end and, and reach our limits, he keeps on going. That we see every person we meet as someone who has a miracle that is in motion, that there's a miracle for them, that there is something God wants to do, that miracle's in movement, it's in motion. Miracles are often funneled through people who simply say, hey, I'm available. I'm available. The biggest thing that we bring to the story that God is writing is our availability. So you ask yourself, like, well, what do I bring to the table? When I think about the church, when I think about my life, what do I bring to the table? Your greatest ability is your availability. And so, look, we don't have to be the most talented. We don't have to be the most qualified. But we gotta be willing to pick up some people who are broken. We gotta be willing to get down to the muck and the mire with people. We gotta be willing to do whatever it takes to get more people to Jesus. Hey, so good to be together for Vision Sunday. Really excited about a, a message uh, that I have to share with you today. Um, I believe God is moving in our church. I believe there's some really great days ahead and uh, excited to just uh, experience this with you today. Uh, Vision Sunday, it's awesome. Um, if, you, if you don't know, uh, immediately following the service, uh, we're gonna have, for the first time, uh, an all-church vision meeting, and uh, you are invited to be a part of that. Lunch and childcare are provided and uh, we're gonna get started pretty quickly after the service. We're gonna have to put some tables up in here, do like a working lunch. Just a chance for myself and uh, our board to go a little deeper into the opportunities that are before us, share uh, even more about our, uh, our, our financial outlook and picture, and, uh, and really kind of get us all maybe pulling in, in, in the same direction for the great days ahead. Amen? Amen, all right. So, uh, and then also Wednesday night, uh, big deal. Okay, uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of people uh, here who are putting in a lot of effort to pull Wednesday night off at the Jamie Heard Amphitheater for worship night, kicking off our fall here uh, at the church with some strong momentum. Invite friends and family, uh, bring yourself. Uh, with all the people putting in hard work and effort to be there, I, I just ask you to do what you can to put in uh, an effort <laughs> to be there as well. Uh, it's gonna be great. We're gonna have an awesome, awesome, awesome time. So Vision Sunday, I wanna get into this, this message, you know, um, it's interesting because I, I, I've just been in prayer for our church. I, I think that, uh, man, I, a unique amount of time. Like, I, I think that it's, it's uh, one of these moments um, that I've just needed to be on my face before the Lord. Um, and so I, I've just been uh, in prayer uh, asking God a, a lot of things and, and, and wanting to hear from him. And I just, I feel like the Lord has been speaking to me about several things and first, first thing is really just about me and my own leadership. Uh, I feel like he's been talking to, to me personally about what's been going on in me. And as I have had some time to kind of look at myself as, as a leader at this church over the past few years, uh, I've noticed how I have been more prone to maybe lead from a place of fear than I'd like to admit you know, kind of, kind of hedging at times, wanting things to be predictable or controllable. Uh, I think there's maybe wisdom in that. I want to give myself a little bit of credit, but I, I think sometimes there's wisdom in that, you know, because you're just like, ah, you know, I want to make sure that, but, uh, and, and I feel a deep sense of responsibility, and so I want to lead well, but I, I honestly, there has been, I think, times where I've been prone to kind of just, just, just function more out of fear. That's just me being honest with you, and as I've been in prayer before the Lord, I, I feel like he's really just been, been telling me that he needs me to be a courageous leader. Um, and, and that there is a miraculous future for our church, but that it is gonna take some courage to get there. Uh, and and uh, that it's time for us as a church to take a swing and, and, and to just let, let God be God and to let him do the things that only he can really do. And so uh, this year's been interesting for me. Um, you maybe had a little bit of a peak. You know that I took some time off to rest and, and to kind of recharge. It was needed. Uh, I, I, I was um, just, just, just at a time where I needed to kind of just, just pull out for a little bit and, and, and just, just uh, uh, get uh, some time with the Lord, let the Holy Spirit minister some fresh things to me. And, 
Um, I would tell you that as I look back at the last eight months of the year, I, I would tell you that, I, that I, I believe that the enemy has really been at work. I believe he's been at work uh, in my life. I think he's been at work uh, at least behind the scenes at our church. I, I, I really do. Like, um, how many of y'all know that the enemy loves to get his hooks in a church? Like, he loves it. Like, like, and he does it all the time. I mean, you can read stories out there uh, week after week after week of churches that just blow up because the enemy got his hooks in them. And so I just, I've sensed him. We haven't had major drama, but like, I've sensed him. I've just felt like the enemy has been lurking and, and wanting to abort really the vision and the, and the future and the purpose that God has for this church. And so I, I've just been at a place recently where I just have felt like, like there needs to be some courage to get from here to there, to get from where we are now to where God is taking us. And uh, there's a story in the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 13. It's a famous, famous story. Moses has led the people, the Hebrew people, out of slavery in Egypt. He's led them through the wilderness. They are now at the edge of the promised land, like the, the, the promise inheritance, the promised inheritance that God has for them, a land where they can establish themselves as a nation, as a people. And uh, they are finally there. They're, they're literally like staring over the, the, the cliff into the promise that God has for them. He's brought them all this way. He's told them he's provided this. And now it's time for them to possess it. And so what Moses does is he sends out 12 spies, probably familiar with the story, right? To, to go and scout the land and to bring a report back uh, to Moses and to the people of what they can expect as they enter into the land of Canaan, and so which would become Israel. So 10 spies report back a very similar message and two have a different uh, perspective on things. The 10 spies come before Moses and the people and they tell them that it's, as, it, it's better than they thought, that the land is incredible, the vegetation is awesome. It's unlike anything else. This land is, they said, is literally flowing with milk and honey. Like, it's unbelievable. Like, like the, this would be a place we could live. We couldn't find a better place. But then they start to get into all the obstacles. They, they, they say, yes, this is an incredible place, but there are so many obstacles. Uh, primarily, there are giants living in this land. They said, we are like grasshoppers in their eyes. They, they literally were giants. They, I mean, they were descendants of Nephilim, you know, which in the Old Testament, like gi literal giants. And so um, they're, they're, they're afraid. They're, they're like, there's no way we can do this. We don't have, uh, from a military perspective, the means to go up against these people who are already living in this place, and so we will surely die. So they spread these, these fears and these doubts amongst the people, and, and uh, everyone's just kind of up you know, in, in arms, there's this commotion, like, oh, no, we came all this way. Really, like, we're better off in the wilderness? I love verse 30. Numbers 13, verse 30, it says that, that Caleb, so the two spies, Joshua and Caleb, they had a different perspective. Joshua would go on to be the, the leader who would replace Moses, right? So he, obviously, a, a hero of our faith, but then Caleb also was one of the spies. It says he, he silenced the people. So imagine him sort of standing up, in the midst of all of this commotion and these people spreading like, like, like uh, negativity that like, hey, this, this isn't a good idea. And Moses, or, or, or I'm sorry, Caleb stands up. He silences the people before Moses. And he says, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. I love the courage in this story. I love the courage of Caleb. Story goes that they, they actually ended up passing. They went back and they, they wandered for 40 more years in the desert until everyone from that generation had died. 40 years later, except for Joshua and Caleb, right? 40 years later. Caleb's 85 years old by the time they're ready to go back into the promised land. And he says, he says then, he says, I'm just as strong as I was back then because I'm ready. Let's take the land. I want to share with you a vision this morning, and I think it's, a, it's, a, it's meant to be a, per, a personal vision. So it's just, you know, I, I want it to uh, be something that you take in, not just corporately, like, oh, that's cool, that's a vision for our church. No, 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 I want you to catch it for you, personal. I, I, you know, if, if we could catch vision for ourselves, for our families, for our marriages, uh, for, for our careers, life, like, that would have a transformative impact 
uh, on our church for sure, but on, on our community, on, on all kinds of things. And so it's a personal vision, but it's also corporate. And so I've just been in prayer because, you know, I, I, I have to be able to get up here and give you a vision that I believe in, right? Like, I, I, can't, just, I can't just share something, you know, that I, that I, that I kind of think might work. Sort of, sort of okay. I, I've, I've never been good at being like a rah-rah guy. Like, I've never been good at being like the hype guy. You know, there are some pastors that are really good at that and, and, and leaders good at that, and I just don't know how to be that. Like, I, I probably, it's probably some of my melancholy personality where I'm just like, eh, you know, like it's, it's never as good as like, like everyone says it is. So I'm just not a very good like rah-rah guy. I'm not like, I can't come up here and just sell you on something. Like, I can't sell something that I, that I don't, that I don't believe in, and so um, I, I'm going to share with you today something that I very much do believe in, uh, something that I carry, uh, I think, in my spirit uh, for us, for my life, uh, for our church. And so the vision of this church is one that is built on a foundation that doesn't change year over year, nor is it swayed by the latest trends. Like, we still want to know God and make him known. Okay? We can throw that slide up there. We still want to know God and make him known. That's still our vision. Like We still want to do church as a family and cultivate the presence of God through having a high emphasis on prayer and worship. We still want to raise up a generation of young people. Right? We want to see an increase of young people loving Jesus through this church. Can I get a good amen, somebody? Okay. We want to be a church that goes all in. We want to go all in. We don't want to be, we don't want to be cultural Christians. Here, like we don't want to be people who just have one foot into this faith and one foot out. We don't want to be people who just kind of go through the motions. We don't want to be people who do religion. We want to be people who give our entire life to the cause of Jesus, to the kingdom of God. We want to be people who are marked by the, by the fire of God in our life. It's changed us forever. And we go all in. We go in, all in for the kingdom. We go all in for our families. We go all in for our marriages. We go all in for our community. We are people who are marked by the presence and the power of God. It's changed us, and we believe that if it's changed us, it can change other people. So this is who we want to be. Like, this is us. This is us. We want to know God, meaning we want to, we want to be discipled. We don't want to just stay where we are. We want to continue to grow in discipleship, but we also want to make him known. We, this is an evangelistic message. This is a message that many people still need to hear. This is a message that many people in our families still need to hear. And then we want to do church as a family. This is why we do fifth Sundays around here. Like, this is why we, 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 we promote and push life groups. Like, like we, we believe that there are people in this church for sure, but there are people in our community who need a family and that this is a great place to find one. So we do church as a family. We don't just come here and worship and hear, hear a sermon and leave, and that's, our, that, that's all, uh, it, you know, church ever is. No, 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 no. Like, it's a family. And then we want to cultivate the presence of God. Like have a high value for prayer. That we would be a church that is rooted in prayer. That like we don't move forward unless we have prayed. That we, are, that we have a high value for the presence of God through, through worship. That's why worship is, is the way it is here. Not because we just want to have something that's, that's really attractional and that sounds good when you're here. No, no, no. Like, not at all. In fact, when, when, when Tim and I meet and we talk about worship and what's going on here at the church, it's all about the presence of God. It's all about the fact that, like, every single one of us, any given week, we're going through things. We can't afford to have a Sunday morning where we don't experience and encounter the presence of God. There's too much at stake. There's too many challenges that we're facing every single day. We want to have something here that's authentic and real. That when you come here, you know that you, that, you, that, you, that you encounter God, that you experience the living God here at our church. And so the question is, like, how do we get from here to there? How do we get from here to that kind of vision? Well, we've been doing some things for sure. But I want to explain for, kind of for the rest of our time how we do this. You know, when I was um, growing up, I, I got to spend several holidays at my grandparents' house. Um, kind of, Kind of pretty common, right? A lot of you probably with that same experience. And, and it was awesome. And go to my grandparents' house, there's like two, two major memories um, every time we'd get together. Food and games. Like, food was a huge deal. Like, grandma would make homemade soups. Awesome. Like, incredibly cheap, right? Like, like she, when, they were, when they had, like, no money, she, like, could make these things. And you're, it, it was just unbelievable. Um, 
She would make homemade chili, uh, homemade runzas. Where are all my Nebraska people at? Yeah, yeah, give me, give me a little shout out. Homemade runzas, so good. Um, we'd get together uh, and just have a great time around food, but maybe more significant than the food were the games. Man, I, I just remember being around the, the, the table with my grandpa, my, my aunts and uncles, uh, cousins. We'd, we'd, you know, we'd, just, we'd play games. Dominoes was like a big thing in our family. With grandpa, he'd get the dominoes out. We'd play, uh, you know, we'd play like the board game Risk. Any Risk fans, right? That we'd, we'd t- like two days, you know, we'd play that game. Um, <laughs> We'd play uh, the, the card game Rook was a big, big thing in our family because grandma was against traditional playing cards, you know, she's kind of from that, from that era. And so we'd play the game Rook, which, which I mean, we still play in our family and love it. Um, but something that was always common when we'd get together as a family um, is, is uh, we, would, we would often put together a puzzle. Grandpa, lo- grandpa loved puzzles. And uh, he would... Uh, always get one, like pretty much every Christmas, and they'd be like thousands of pieces. Sometimes they'd be like the 3D puzzles, you know? You ever done any of those? And, and just, just crazy, like you'd have an entire afternoon and this puzzle would be out there and, and uh, I just have so many memories. And so I brought a puzzle this morning and, I, and I, I think it's an interesting picture because the thing about puzzles is that you always begin with the end in mind. You know? Like you always begin with the end in mind. There is this Picture on the outside of the box, Golden Gate Bridge in this case. And um, the picture on the outside of the box is what the puzzle should eventually look like, right? And so even though when you start, you have, I mean, tons of pieces, like, right? And you're like, you know, and, and, and if you've ever done the puzzles like this, you got to find the border and then you got to find similar colors. It just can take a very long time, but what... The thing about a puzzle is that you have a picture in your mind of what, of what this will eventually look like if you don't give up, if you stay the course, right? If you keep grabbing like pieces and putting them together, you'll build this picture eventually. And so this is, this is us as a church, right? This is, this is who we are right now. Like we want to begin from this moment right now. Not, not talking about the past, not talking about anything that's happened before us. We want to start as a church from this moment right now with the end in mind. And I, I want to encourage you to do that in your own life. Again, this is, like, this is a, personal, a personal vision. Like, I want you to begin with the end in mind. I, w- I want you to start, you know, it's tough to do that sometimes if you're raising young kids and you're thinking like, man, this is just never going to end. No, 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 begin with the end in mind. Because in two years, I have, a, I have a kid who's graduating high school and will go on to college. I'm like, where did the time go? You know? You got to begin with the end in mind. You got to live with purpose, live with intention. When it comes to your marriage, when it comes to your, your career, your work, what you're giving the bulk of your life to, you got to begin with the end in mind. And so as a church, this is what we're going to do. We're going to begin with the end in mind. And to do that, we have to first visualize it and we have to imagine it. We have to imagine and visualize where we are headed so that when we start to move forward, we know how we want the story to end. Came across a survey recently where they asked a question to hundreds of people. The question was, what are the biggest issues people struggle with in the world today? What are the biggest issues right now? Well, several hundred replies to the survey and all the classic uh, responses, things like poverty, things like, you know, uh, the economy and uh, divided politics, like, you know, all the stuff you would, you, would, you would think would rise to the top. But looking at the results, there was an answer that seemed kind of out of place. Like, you have all the ones you'd expect, and, and the one that was out of place wasn't at the top, but it was, it was high. And I'm going, like, that's interesting. And it was emotional numbness. Emotional numbness. Hundreds of people responded to the question of what is the biggest issue people struggle with in the world today with the answer, emotional numbness. We are at a time where so many people can't remember the last time that they cried. We're at a time where so many people can't remember the last time they let themselves feel what they need to feel. I think it's so easy to become numb to the challenges that exist around us. We think like, how could I ever impact that? How could I ever really make a difference? And we're just like, man, the world is going crazy and 
the burden of what it would actually mean to make these things our responsibility is just like too great. Like how, how, could, I, how could I solve that problem? How could I do this or that? And I like what Albert Camus says. He says this. He says, live to the point of tears. Live to the point of tears. And I heard that, read that, and I, and I just thought, man, this is key. This is key to a church that, 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 that wakes up. This is key to a church that makes a difference. This is a key to a family who doesn't just live and go through the motions like everybody else. When you start to live to the point of tears, like this has to be the blueprint, that we can't just be people who are numb to what is going on around us. And so I want us to focus on the things that when we really think about it, when you slow yourself down long enough, when we really just kind of think about everything that's going on around us, when we refuse to allow ourselves to be numb to reality, that the tears start to well up inside of us. Start to think about people. Start to think about challenges. Instead of just avoiding them, we start to, we start to think. Like we sit with our thoughts, thinking about what's really going on in the world, what's really happening with our kids, what's really going on in our marriage, what's really happening at work, what's really going on in our community. And we stop and we really think about these things. I want us to sit in those those thoughts to the point that the tears begin to well up, that we begin to feel, that the passion starts to come back. We have to be a people who are willing to move towards the tears, not avoid the tears. There has to be emotion and there has to be passion. And, And I think that what happens so often is like you go through life and your heart just starts to get calloused, right? It starts to get hardened. You know, it, it's amazing to me. I was, I was um, on my phone this week just looking at things and a notification came through from Fox that said that there was like a, there was a shooting, another shooting. And, and I just kind of like flicked it away, you know? Because it's every day. It's like every day. And, and what happens over time is you just kind of get a little hardened. It's kind of self-preservation in a way. I don't have, man, I don't have the emotional capacity to just weep every time I get a notification like that or to feel like I need to feel. It's, it's interesting. Our hearts over time, they just kind of get hardened to reality because, because, because we're just trying to like make it through the day. And we got to start to get our hearts back. We gotta start to open our hearts. We gotta let, let, let the Holy Spirit soften us to what's really happening. That there are people all around us who are hurting, people who are in pain, people who are going through unthinkable, unconscionable things. And we carry the hope of the world. We are the ambassadors of Christ. We have the answer, <laughs> right? But with a hardened heart, it's impossible to give that answer to people. Because we just, we just, you know, it's, it's just, I, don't, I, can't, I can't stop long enough to care. But I think that if you want to get your heart back, you have to get your tears back. You have to start to feel again. You have to start to, start, start to, to have, have passion again well up inside of you. We have to move towards the tears, not avoid the tears. And so, so when you stop for a minute and you start to think about your kids, you start to think about where they're headed, you start to think about their future, and, and you stop long enough that those tears begin to well up inside of you as you think about them and where they're headed. Like, I want you to move towards the tears. Move towards those tears. When you think about your husband, your wife, your spouse, whoever it is, and you stop long enough and you start to really evaluate what's going on in your life, and the Holy Spirit starts to reveal things to you and show you things about them, things they're struggling with, things they're going through, I want you to move towards the tears. You think about the pain and the hurt of those close to us, We want to be people who move towards those tears. When we think about injustices going on around us, those who are hungry, man, those who who don't have a place to sleep, we start to think about everything going on that just seems impossible. We don't want to move away from those things. We want to move towards them. We want to move towards the tears. When we think about families right now that are in crisis, you you guys know people. I hear it all the time. Like, Families that are in crisis, families that are in struggle, we want to move towards the tears, everybody. Like, we think about those who are lost and those who are far from God, those who, without an encounter with the living God, without meeting Jesus, like their future isn't very good. Their eternal future isn't good. When we stop and really think about that, we should start to feel something. And when we feel something and those tears well up, we want to move towards those tears. We want, to, we want to understand that, man, there are people who need Jesus 
and it breaks my heart, and I want them to experience what I've experienced, and so I'm gonna move towards that emotion. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ignore it. I'm not gonna become emotionally numb to what's going on around me. Have y'all ever been to uh, Ikea? Any Ikea shoppers? Ikea's interesting, isn't it? It's, it's awesome, like in a lot of ways, because you know, it, it's, it's just fun to walk through there, especially because you can get some food, and it makes shopping so much better, right? Like, you can get some food, you can walk through. It's, it's, it's a pretty modern store, so you walk around, you know, this, this circle, you know, different floors, and it's just like, wow, that's awesome. You start to, to imagine what that could look like in your house, you know, and man, this could make my house look super cool because it's really outdated and all those things. Ikea has all these beautiful finished products. Pretty cool store, right? Um, and... The biggest knock with Ikea is that when you purchase a product, it doesn't come finished, right? It comes full of a box of millions of pieces, right? That's, that's the biggest knock. It's like, how am I supposed to put this thing together? Like, it looked way better in the store. And then when you do put it together, you're like, why is it crooked? So it can take you days, it can take you weeks to put the finished product together. I think this is how vision works. I think this is how vision works. Vision doesn't show up as a finished product. So the vision you have for your life, the vision you have for your family, the vision you have for your marriage, it doesn't come up as, come up as, a, as a finished product. Same thing here. The vision, the dreams, the passion, is never, it's never shown up here as a, as a finished product. I wish it would. It's come in a box full of pieces. And many times you can have a vision of a finished product, but in order to get there, you're going to have to put the many different pieces together. And I think there are many people who have a hope or a dream of a miracle happening in their life. Yet what they don't understand is that when God works a miracle, the materials he uses are often the same each time. So when you think about that Ikea box coming and, and you open it up and it's got all these pieces, I think that's really similar to how miracles work. In fact, I, I would say this, if, if, you're, if you're taking notes, that we can tend to think of a miracle as a finished product when a miracle is really something that is continuously happening and continuously unfolding. Rarely does it ever show up just as a finished product. Usually there are pieces to the puzzle. Usually there are parts that are common every single time God moves miraculously. And so I just believe as a church, my thoughts, I believe that we are in a miracle and that that is true. And yet at the same time, that miracle is in motion, meaning we're not completely there yet. We're not fully there. We are moving and the miracle is in motion. So if miracles came with some assembly required, I believe that there would be some key materials that would fall out of the box every single time. And uh, I want to I read a story to you out of Luke 5, and then uh, I'm going I'm to share with you some of the common materials that, uh, that show up in literally every miracle that we read about. So Luke 5, really famous story um, about some friends who bring their uh, paralyzed buddy uh, to Jesus. It says in Luke 5, 17, one day when he was teaching Jesus, okay, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there and the power of the Lord was, was present for him to heal the sick. Okay, first of all, that'll, if you think about that verse too long, it'll blow your mind theologically because we often think that Jesus functioned uh, it, it, the way he did because he was God. Nope, like right here, uh, he did what he did because the, pre the power of the Lord was present with him in this moment, right? So um, some men, verse 18, some, everybody say some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friends, your sins, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. 
Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. It's amazing. It's amazing. I think that if miracles came in a box, that there would be some key materials that would fall out of that box every single time. And you can see them in this story, just like you can see them in others. I think, number one, I think miracles always start with problems. Every single time. You ever seen a miracle that didn't ha- where, where like, there wasn't a problem? That like, never happens, right? Miracles always start with problems. You ever needed a miracle in your life? You, you ever asked God for a miracle and never needed him to miraculously move? Uh, any of you not have a problem when you ask God for a miracle? No, of course not. But there's so many other stories like this, right, where we see a problem show up. Another famous story is in, in, in Luke 5 as well, and also in John 21, where we see the disciples push out into the Sea of Galilee to fish all night long. These are professional fishermen. And what happens? They come back the next morning, and they haven't caught a single fish. How many of y'all know that that's a problem? Like, like it's a problem when professional, professional, professional fishermen don't catch fish. Like, that's a huge Huge issue. So if you don't have problems, you don't need miracles. Are you, are you with me today? Okay, if you don't have problems, problems are the prerequisite to a miracle. Every miracle in scripture, every time we read, was a, mir- uh, uh, was a miracle because there was a problem that needed a solution. And so I, I, if you're taking notes, I think that it is okay to have problems as long as you can have the perspective that you are in the middle of a miracle that is in motion. Like, I, I believe that. Like, it's not that everything has to be fixed and finished right now. It's that I believe that God is good, and I believe that I, I, you know, he has good thoughts and plans for me and my family, for my church, and I am in a miracle, and even though it's not finished right now, that miracle is in motion. Can I get a good amen? I mean, come on, it is in motion. It's happening, even though it hasn't happened. And so miracles always start with problems, and so the plan for us, part of the, part of the vision plan is that Look, I pull it right out of this story. I love this story. Part of the vision plan is that we want to bring to Jesus every person who is a candidate for a miracle. Every person. Like, I'm not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not afraid of people who have problems. I'm not worried about people who have problems because they are a candidate for a miracle because mir- miracles require there to be problems. And so we have, we have a ministry of this church every week that is, that is meeting the needs of people who have problems. Every single Wednesday, we have hundreds of people coming to our parking lot who have problems, like legitimate issues in their life. And I love it. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not scared of it. I don't care that there's some mess involved in it because every person who has a problem is a candidate for a miracle. Miracles require there to be problems. And so what I want here at our church, the vision, part of the vision going forward is I want, I want us to normalize miracles around here. That they don't just surprise us when they happen, like, oh, wow, the Bible is real. Like, (laughs) no. I want us to be a church that expects God to move, that expects God to do the impossible, that where we end and, and reach our limits, he keeps on going. That we see every person we meet as someone who has a miracle that is in motion, that there's a miracle for them, that there is something God wants to do, that miracle's in movement, it's in motion. And we just wanna reach way more people around here. Not because I need, I, I, not because I have an ego, not because I need, I need a bigger church, not because, not because of any of that, I, I really do not care. Let me tell you, when I was a younger pastor, I had much more of an ego, but doing what I do here, pastoring, lead pastoring for the last five and a half years has a way of humbling you as a way of making you realize you don't know as much as you think you do and, and how desperate you need to be on God. And so I don't, I don't really care about all that anymore. I've, I've laid all that down. I just, I just, there are people who are hurting, people who need Jesus, and I want us to reach more people. The second thing in the story you see in literally every miracle um, is that miracles always start with some people, number two. Tells us here in the story, it says, some men came carrying a paralytic. Some men. We don't know the names of these men. This is one of the most incredible miracles we have in the Bible, we have in history. And these men, they they, they are key characters 
and yet they have gone down in history known generically as some men. Who are they? We don't know. They're some men. There are some men in this story who are willing to carry their paralytic friend to Jesus. They had a problem. They had a friend who was paralyzed. So some men said, hey, we'll do it. We'll take this man to Jesus. The only name in this story that we have is Jesus. Even the Pharisees, it just says Pharisees, teachers of the law. We don't even know who they are. It's just all about Jesus. The only name in this story is Jesus because he gets the glory. He gets the credit. It's all about him. It's not about elevating myself or yourself or causing people to know how great we are or all we've done. No, no, no. We want to reach more people and bring them to Jesus. We want some people to come along with us to help because he gets all the glory and he gets all the credit. We want to just be a part of making the name of Jesus more famous in this city than it is right now. Miracles always start with some people. The biggest thing that we bring to the story God is writing is our availability. There were just some people. In the story of the disciples, John 21 and Luke 5, where they go out into the sea, Peter goes and he says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to go back out. And uh, there were some other men standing there and said, hey, we're going to go with you. Let us go with you. Look at me, like, like the biggest thing that we bring to the story that God is writing is our availability. So you ask yourself, like, well, what do I bring to the table? When I think about the church, when I think about my life, what do I bring to the table? I'm, I'm not good at this, I'm not good at that. If, if you're a sports person in here, and, and, and I apologize, but if you're a sports person in here, like there, there's a common phrase coaches will use, or you'll hear it on like uh, broadcasts. You know, some of the, especially when, when, when some of the most talented athletes are injured, and you see them in their street clothes, like, like they're on the bench, and you're like, well, everybody's talking about how great they are and how much better the team would be if they could play. But then you always hear somebody say this. They say, your greatest ability is your availability, right? It doesn't matter like how good or talented like that athlete is. He's not available to play. So don't tell me like what he can do, right? Like I want to know, if, like let me know when he's ready to play, when he's ready to suit up. And so your greatest ability is your availability. Miracles are often funneled through people who simply say, hey, I'm available. I'm available. So, you know, we had a, we had a great VBS this summer in June, the end, of, the, end of, the end of June, we had, we had kids who were just taught the Bible. They were taught about Jesus. We had kids who, who raised their hand, gave their life to Jesus at a young age. Amazing. All because someone was available. We have people every week on Wednesday coming here to get food. People who, whose needs are being met all because there are some people in this church who are like, hey, I'll, I'm, I'm available. Not because they're, they're super gifted or talented. It's not because that's even the need that we need, uh, you know, all of that. We just need people who say, hey, I'm available. I'll do whatever is needed. We have nearly 50 youth who are going to start meeting here on Wednesday night coming up uh, a week from Wednesday. This thing is just amazing at our, at our church. It's just amazing. All because there are some men and women in this church who are just like, hey, I'm, uh, I'm available. If you can use me, I'm available. We got like 12 adults in our church volunteering to help make sure that we have a solid youth program in this church. It's amazing. It's amazing. Your greatest ability is your availability. And so, look, we don't have to be the most talented. We don't have to be the most qualified. But we gotta be willing to pick up some people who are broken. We gotta be willing to get down to the muck and the mire with people. We gotta be willing to do whatever it takes to get more people to Jesus. Man, I'm off script. If we're gonna see God move, it will require some people to move. I read a statistic from Barna recently. It says, said that nine out of 10 Christians don't know their calling. Nine out of Christians, in other words, don't know why they are on the planet. Think about how many of us in this room, and maybe some of you even feel that emotionally right now. And so a huge part of our vision at the church is that we are going to attack this statistic. We're gonna go after that. I refuse to, to, to be okay with that. I, I refuse to be okay with the people that God has asked me to, to lead and to shepherd to, to 
have that same, same statistic. We're going to attack that. We're going to go after that. We have a, we, we have a huge part of our vision is to help you know why you are on this planet and what God wants to do through you. And so um, part of our vision plan here is that we want to release people to lead and serve with passion. All of those words are carefully chosen. To lead and to serve with passion. Huge part of our church going forward is the serve team. Huge part of like uh, Emily's role here at our church and the changes we've made uh, in, in staffing is, is to establish this as one of her primary focuses to really build out a, a, a different and unique culture for our serve team church-wide. It's a huge part of our church. So our focus right now is to help people serve in ways that they are gifted, areas that they are passionate, ways that they can make a difference. It's in a massive Massive shift in our church, and we need people who are willing to make themselves available. And so we've got you know different plans coming out where we can onboard people. We uh, are, are getting ready to roll out on our website basically a, um, a user experience where you would see uh, basically a calendar. It's like a sign-up genius, and you'd see all the different serving opportunities throughout the month. And then there would, be, there would be buttons for you to sign up and say, okay, well, look, I, I, don't, I don't normally have time to do that, but I have availability this week, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in, and, and uh, if you can use me, uh, I'm, I'm available. Because this is a church that needs to go all in to carry us forward. A huge part of our surf team that we've been working on behind the scenes all summer long, Emily's done a great job getting us ready for this is we've been uh, working to establish ministry coordinators. So we've been looking all throughout like, like the, our church, everything we need to really function at a high level and identifying that we need key, uh, key leaders here and key leaders here and key leaders here. And so we want to we release people to lead and to serve with passion. And so we, we, you know, she's created uh, several, like a lot of job descriptions uh, easy one-page reads that would show what it takes to, to carry a ministry forward, what the expectations are, how I can serve, how I can use my gifts to make a difference here at the church. And these are all things that she's actively even, even been, been starting to recruit people for these roles because we want to release people here to lead, not just, not just to, to have everything sort of spoon-fed, but to take your passion, to take your purpose, and to lead not just look to me, to not have everything funneled to me or to our staff or to our leadership, but to empower you to lead in the kingdom of God, and to serve, to make a difference. And so these, these uh, ministry coordinators are going to help, we're going to help train them to, and, and then train them to develop a group of people who can passionately serve within that specific area. And then we want to help coach these people to see the things that are important within their ministry area and to help align it with the vision of the church. And so this is like probably one of the biggest parts of our vision going forward is just a massive shift in terms of the serve team. You wanna do church as a family? There's no better way than to, do, than to do church as a family than to serve side by side with somebody and get to know them. Talk about life groups all you want and get into a small group and do those things. But look, all that, and that's good and I love that. I love getting in a, getting in a, a, a living room and talking about Jesus with people. But there is nothing more powerful in terms of doing church as a family than, than serving side by side with someone else. I mean, our worship team has start, starts to feel that week in and week out, getting together early to practice. Our volunteers in the kids' ministry feel that because they're, they're side by side. The people who show up early on Wednesday morning to, to uh fill the bags of food that are going to go out the door. Like it, they, they, they have great camaraderie, great relationships that are being built. The, the people who are show up in the afternoon to then give the food out, it, it, it's created a culture of family because that's what happens when you roll up your sleeves and you serve side by side with someone. You get to know them. They get to know you. It's a huge part of our vision. And here's just a thought. If you're available, if you're available, that's all, that's all it takes. If you're available, then you are equipped to make a difference in the kingdom. And I just believe that there are more people in the Des Moines area who are looking for a home, who are looking for a family, and that if they could just get here, if they could just meet some of you, if we would be willing to not just live our life for a preference, but instead live our life for a purpose, we could see God do something incredible here at this church. And, and look, like maybe even that by the time we get to the end of our life, we'll look back and say, look at what God did. 
Like, I want a story like that. So the third thing I think you see in, in, in stories, uh, miracles, is that they always face rejection and criticism every time. So in the story in Luke 5, you see these men bring their friend to a house that is full. They can't get in. Right? They're rejected at the door. Sorry. Like, oh, oh he's, he's, he's paralyzed? Oh, that's too bad. Like, we're full. You know, like, like no one, like, getting out of the way. No one giving up their seat. <laughs> No one's saying, hey, no, like, I, I'm perfectly healthy. I don't need to be in here. Like, he can have my spot. Nobody doing that. They're rejected at the door. And so then they have to innovate. They have to think differently. Think about the disciples on the boat. Think about them pushing out into the sea. Like, right? I mean, is, is there, is there a, a more humiliating experience as a professional fisherman than to be rejected by fish? <laughs> right? They're rejected got to go home and tell, and tell their family, got to go home and tell the wife, hey, I, I got nothing to eat today. Like, sorry, the fish just weren't, weren't cooperating. They, they rejected me again. Every real miracle in motion will face rejection at some point, every single one. And I want to just speak to some of you here because there are those of you in this place, like you have, you have actually at times really felt God speaking to you about something, something about your life, like, like calling you to something where you feel like maybe you got a real word from the Lord five, 10 years ago, that God nudged you to head in a certain direction and that every time you tried to step out, that there have been obstacles in your way and you viewed those obstacles as a sign that, that, that you must not have really heard from God in the first place. But listen to me, the reality is that the obstacles might actually be a sign that God is in this thing. Because every real miracle that we see faces rejection and it faces criticism. And, and, and so, uh, you know, I, I don't remember where I read this. It's not my quote, but I'm going to use it today. Um, I, it just stuck with me for probably 10 years now at least. And it's this idea that limitation is the breeding ground for innovation. I love this thought. It's a great leadership thought that limitation is the breeding ground for innovation. That you think about every invention, every advancement, you think about the industrial revolution, everything that wasn't that now is, exists now because there were people who faced limits who came up to the edge and said, like, we can't go any further. This is all man has ever done. And then someone began to innovate. Someone began to innovate. And so, you know, here at our church, like, like we have faced limits in the last several years, like five and a half years of being in this facility. We've, we've, we've just ran into limits, like square footage limits. And we've had to get creative in how we use our space. So, man, there's been dreams. There's been there's been passion, there's been things, there's been miracles we believed for, and man, like, similar to like these friends bringing, bringing, bringing their buddy to the house, we've been like, there's no more room. Like, what are you going to do? We've literally used every square inch of this place at different times. We've operated a food pantry from our lobby from, for over th the past three years, served over 80,000 people in three years. To God be the glory. We've held events here over the years where at times I thought that like if you added one more person, the windows out front might break. Like it's been wild. Man, if the fire marshal would have walked through some of those events. <laughs> we've had to move kids' classes around to different places in the building. We've even had to have those, classes, have those classes meet outside at times, which doesn't really work in the winter. We've just had to get creative. It's really difficult to have, you know, th this big... We call it the big classroom, but it's really not that big. And the bigger of the two classrooms, when you have like 30 or 40 kids in there, it's not great. And so, uh, man, we've just been like, what do you do? Like, like Ken Clark, where you at? Right there, he's, he's always had this idea that we would build a balcony in the back. And uh, I mean, he's brought that idea. We're like, I mean, we're trying to just innovate, trying to get creative, you know? Every miracle faces rejection at some point, and and you know, meaning there's something that comes along that stifles momentum. And I, I felt this. Like, I have felt that. Struggles of leading this church, like, it's not been easy. Like, I, I, times where I've come face-to-face -face with my own inadequacies of where I'm just like, I don't know. Times where, like, you know, people have, have, have decided that, you know, it's time to move on for them and to go to, an, you know, they, go, they end up at another church, and that's fine, you know, whatever. I, um, 
I usually always email anybody who leaves and tell them it's just been such a joy, such a privilege to be their pastor for a season and just, just want them to know how much I love them. And so, but, but there's a real feeling of like, man, that hurts. I'm like, man, we're not, we're not exactly where I want us to be yet or where I thought we'd be. I felt the Lord really like sharing this, this thought with me um, this week. And it's this, it's, it's what is a story without a struggle? What is a story without a struggle? Like we never tell stories that have zero struggle, do we? There are no movies made in which everything was 100% perfect. Like those aren't the types of stories that draw an audience. Some of us in this room, like we're gonna have to get over our attitude about the struggle our disappointment with rejection or our frustration with the results and not allow those things to keep us from obediently living into the story that God is writing. And so this is what I think. Um, I think that when it comes to our facility here, it has been both a blessing and a struggle. If I could say that. At times it's hindered growth. You know that we've actually had, uh, we don't broadcast this, but we've had people leave our church. Love us, love me. They've just left our church because... um, Honestly, the size of the kids' classrooms. It's, it's, it's their only reason, really. Um, and so we're like, how do we do this? Like, limitation is the breeding ground of innovation. And I don't have all the answers for how we're going to fix that. But I know that our vision plan right now is not to shrink back, but instead it, it, is, it is to double down on our commitment to raise up a generation. Like, that's where we're at. Like, you can put that, that slide up. Our vision plan is to double down on our commitment to raise up a generation of young people who will love Jesus through this church. And so to do that, we have to have spaces that will help attract more young families. Uh, We have to have better children's classrooms. We have to have a place where young families can feel welcome. They can feel comfortable. Um, We want to split up like fourth and fifth grade into into have more age-specific and age-appropriate classrooms. We have like 30, 40 kids on a Sunday morning, K through fifth. But what does a kindergartner have in common with a fifth grader? Nothing, right? Nothing, and we've just, we've, just, we've just had no choice. We've just been like, well, this is what we got. I mean, we're just doing the best with what we have. And so we want to double down on our commitment to raise up a generation, and we're going to do everything we can. We're going to do everything we can to reach more. The next part of the vision um, plan is that we want to establish a, a dedicated space for the food pantry and additional future services. So additional future services, like, like we want to do more than just meet hunger needs. Uh, we want to start to provide wraparound services where we can do more than just meet the needs of someone who is hungry. We want to offer classes for these families with childcare provided. We want to offer uh, Bible studies. We want to offer things like Alpha. If you're familiar with the Alpha course, it's a, it's a, it's a course that uh, um, really gets into the nuts and bolts of Christianity, like the why, like who is God, who is Jesus. Gets in. It, it, it's just it's just amazing. We want to offer marriage classes and parenting classes. We want to have recovery options here at our church. We want to do more than just meet hunger needs. We want to meet spiritual needs, right? We're not just like a humanitarian organization. We are the church of the living God. We want to have like free clothing. We love to have like a clothing closet. We, want, we, want to, we just want to help people who are in need because everybody who has a problem is a candidate for a miracle, We want to have an after-school program. We want to come along and help tutor kids who are struggling and behind and and, and doesn't look like they're going to make it to the next school year, have to get held back. We want to have these options. I met with somebody from uh, uh, World Vision last week, uh, a friend of mine, and and, uh, which is the largest humanitarian organization in the world. Uh, And and we started talking about how how our church could get involved with like disaster relief things, and because a huge part of you know, the dream that I've had for a long time is that we could be active when disasters would hit. That when a tornado hits in Winterset, we have supplies on hand. We are able to mobilize in minutes. Like, we have a plan in place for how to show up on scene and just be there with manpower and with resources. These are just things we want to do. This is who we want to be. Don't know exactly how we're going to do that, but uh, miracles always face some level of rejection, and sometimes it's just square footage. Miracles also always have critics. <laughs> and in the story, right, it's the Pharisees and it's the teachers of the law. Like, who is this man that thinks he can just heal uh, or forgive sins? What I like about Jesus in the story is that he first deals with the greater need 
the greatest need. This man comes there because he's paralyzed. He wants to walk again. Jesus says, no, you think that's your biggest need, but your biggest need is actually you need to be forgiven. You need your sins dealt with. And he deals with that first. Nearly every God-sized dream will experience criticism. People are like, man, that's foolishness. That's crazy. People who are on the outer edges and they just want to talk about it. They just want to gossip about it. But this is what I think. I think criticism has preempted so many miracles been a lot of false starts to, 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 to miracles due to the impact that, that, that the criticism had on someone's faith. Like, man, you're sure you heard from the Lord. I want to go in this direction. But then there's like this criticism and this doubt starts to creep in. And you're like, I, I don't know. And it just preempts the miracle. So many people live their whole life trying to win the approval of men. And as a result, somewhere along the way, they end up forgetting what God has already told them and what God has already said about them, and the miracle gets preempted. And what I've noticed many times is that God's miracles are not always visible and they're not always measurable at first. They can be very difficult to see sometimes. And many of us, like, like if, if we're honest, we can like discredit what God's doing because we can't see it, we can't measure it. My prayer is that we would have the faith and the maturity that before the miracle is ever visible or measurable, we would stand in awe of God. It's like Jonah already praying with, 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 with uh, thanksgiving and gratefulness from the belly of the fish before he's ever been delivered. We would stand in awe of God with the unwavering belief that God is working, he's doing more than we can think, more than we can imagine, that something is happening underneath the soil long before the harvest comes about. I believe that there is a miracle in motion. Miracles don't usually come as a finished product, Right? They tend to come in a box with materials that have to be put together. And this is how paralyzed men walk. This is how blind people see. This is how people who are hurting and broken and lost find forgiveness and purpose and life again. This is how families are transformed. This is how the impossible becomes possible. So this is, just what, this is what we're gonna do. And so how, how right? And I'm, I'm, I'm getting... I'm a lot closer than I was. I'm getting close. You guys can probably make your way up. Slowly. <laughs> How are we gonna move forward? Here, here's, here, here's some thoughts, okay? We're going to sow seeds that will bring the right kind of harvest. That's the plan. We're gonna sow seeds that bring the right kind of harvest. So William Ward says, judge each day not by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds you plant. And so we're gonna start with the end in mind, with the picture on the box of where we wanna go and where we are headed. And then to get there, we're gonna start sowing seeds. Sowing seeds every day. We're gonna, we're gonna measure every day, not by the harvest, but by the seeds that are planted. And so we're gonna do this. We wanna, I want us to do this with our families. I want us to do this with people who are struggling. I want us to start to sow seeds of servanthood to be people who are willing to serve, where we're willing to do the overlooked stuff that doesn't come with fanfare. I'm just, I'm just gonna sow some seeds. I'm just gonna serve. I want us to sow seeds of money, like our actual money. Because investing in, in eternal things really does matter. It really matters. Sowing seeds of encouragement instead of criticism. How do we get from here to there? We start to actually do things differently than most. We're gonna sow, sow seeds of encouragement, not seeds of criticism. We're gonna sow seeds of attention. Like you got my undivided attention. We're gonna put our phones down. We're gonna be present with our kids, with our families at the table. We're gonna be present in meetings. We're gonna be present where we're at. We're gonna be present here in church. We're not gonna be distracted. We're not gonna have our minds divided. We're gonna give God undivided worship. We're gonna give our families undivided attention. We're gonna sow seeds. This is how you start to sow these seeds. Seeds of morality, where we model integrity in the small things. Seeds of discipline, where we start to model for our families, for our kids, what it really looks like to restrain ourselves rather than just give ourselves over and give ourselves into whatever our flesh wants. We sow seeds of discipline, we sow seeds of courage where we actually begin to confront the things that we hate. 
instead of just being okay with life going this way, like I'm tired of being that person. I'm tired of doing those things. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna have the courage to confront the things in me that I hate. I'm gonna have courage to confront the things that just don't, don't make sense as a godly man or a godly woman or in, in, in a family like this. I'm gonna, we're gonna confront the things we hate. We're gonna do this in our church. Like we just wanna sow seeds, right? Not just be okay with things that, be okay with things going and continuing to go the way they have always gone. We want to sow seeds of godly marriages in this home, in this house. And I wonder what kind of harvest we'd reap if we sowed seeds like this. They may not seem like much, but these seeds can actually reforest the desert of a family's soul. These are seeds that could reforest the desert of a society, a community, if done with persistence and intention. And so I just ask you a question this morning. What seeds can you begin to sow right now? What seeds can you begin to sow right now at home, at work, at, at our church? Where can you start to sow seeds? Where can you start to sow seeds? I like what Jesus famously said in the Gospels, that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Think about that. He's saying, look, the harvest, big, plenty of harvest. But so much of this harvest is actually at risk of, of spoiling, of actually, think about how, how many fields have to just be burned because there weren't enough workers to go out and harvest the fields. He's saying the harvest here are people, it's souls. And Jesus is saying there's plenty of people out there who are ready to meet me, but there's not enough people who are willing to go out and work the fields. And so we wanna just, we, we wanna sow these seeds so that there's a harvest to reap. I, I watched a movie a few years ago, Hacksaw Ridge. Some of you guys might remember that. It, it's, a, it's a World War II movie. Uh, PFC Desmond Doss, this, this man who gets miraculously saved, enlists in the military, and he refuses to carry a gun. Doesn't, it won't carry a weapon. Just, just doesn't want to uh, ever be in a position where he would take someone's life, but he still wants to serve his country. And so he actually goes and appeals the, the decision to discharge him from the military because he still wants to serve. He just doesn't want to have to be forced to carry a weapon. And finally he wins and they're like, hey, if you don't want to go carry a weapon, uh, I guess that's your choice. And, and so he joins like the, the medic team, right? And, and they're in this battle where, uh, you know, all these people are, are, are uh, you know, dying and, and, and men are getting wounded and he's got to just rush in and he's got to carry these men back to safety from the battlefield. And it's just a powerful picture because he, he starts to take one after one and he lowers them down this rope back to safety. And, and uh, in fact, his own unit doesn't know where he is. He's just been out, because he's all night long, he's been out in the field picking one person at a time, bringing them back, carrying them all through the night. And every time he, he lowers one man, he just says, he says these words. He says, dear God, help me get just one more man. Like, again, like, I don't need a big church. Don't need, don't, we don't need those things. I just need a church that says, dear God, give me one more. Every, if, if we had a church where everybody in here was motivated by that, that we're not satisfied, we're not okay with what we have right now, just, God, just give me one more. I just want one more. Just want one more. I'm done. Would you stand? Father, I thank you for the great days ahead. I thank you that where we've been is not where we're headed. I thank you, God, that you have incredible days ahead for this church, for every family in this room under the sound of my voice, for every person here today. God, I thank you that the best is yet to come. I thank you, God, that you, you have purpose and destiny in this house right now. I thank you that there is things, great stories yet to be told, great miracles yet to be seen. 
God, I pray that you would start to move in unthinkable ways, unimaginable ways, that we would have faith to come before you and say, God, have you ever thought about doing this? Have you ever thought about doing that? God, that we would see you on display, that we would gather together as a family to lift high the name of Jesus and make that name the most famous name in our city, oh God. We love you. We're humbled by what you've done here at New Point, and we ask for more. God, would you bring the more in Jesus' name, amen.